What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three immortal ninjas out for revenge. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm not going to be tacky and y'all get over here, but just know that I really want to. And I'm Keith Baker, and I need to protect my bloodline. And I'm Austin Terry, and I just want to unlock my arcana. On today's show, we'll be discussing the 2021 film reboot of Mortal Kombat. Based on the video game franchise of the same name, which started in 1992, Mortal Kombat has become one of the most successful fighting franchises in the history of video games and one of the highest grossing media franchises of all time. Before we get into that, Austin, let everybody know about our bonus series that just wrapped up. That's right, we just finished covering all episodes of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or maybe we should say Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So if you didn't know, we did break down each and every episode while that season was premiering, uh, be sure to go back on your podcast feeds a little bit to hear our thoughts. And a little bit of news, our next bonus series will be coming in about six weeks as we will be breaking down every episode of Loki, the newest addition to the MCU coming to Disney Plus soon. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. But right now, it's time for the main show spanning 22 games and spinoffs, two live-action films, a comic book series, an animated TV show, a live-action TV show, a card game, a platinum-selling album, a live tour, and so, so much more. Mortal Kombat is one of the most infamous and well-known franchises of all time, even to the point of inadvertently creating the ESRB rating system because it was so violent at the time. Despite that, though, this is only the third live-action movie adaptation. The question is... Did this new movie live up to that name and the tone of the franchise? Today, that along with its quality in general is exactly what we were breaking down. Keith and Austin, give me your history with Mortal Kombat in both game and movie form, and what are your initial thoughts on this new entry? Yeah, as far as movies goes, this is my first live action of Mortal Kombat, but as far as where Mortal Kombat and when Mortal Kombat came into my life, that would be when I had a Sega Genesis. I think I was probably six years old, maybe, had two games on it. One of those games was Sonic 2, and the other game was Mortal Kombat. And I played the shit out of Mortal Kombat. But I'll be honest with you, it's been a long time since, since I've revisited anything to do with Mortal Kombat, so I was a little rusty on all the characters here, but they definitely, you know, they definitely rang a bell as I started getting into the movie. Yeah, my history uh, with this franchise is none at all. I've never played a Mortal Kombat game. I've never seen a movie or a TV show um, in this franchise. I am familiar with some of the fatalities. I've seen them when they've been making their rounds online. But other than that, I really don't know anything about this franchise. And that's for just my kind of general thoughts on the new entry. Um, I don't know how you two feel, with since you both do have some history with this franchise. For me, I felt it was pretty uh, underwhelming. I don't think any of the fights really particularly stand out, especially for the way they were kind of hyping them up for the marketing of this film. I think the story is just bonkers, and they try to take a game that doesn't have much of a story and make a story out of it, and it, it doesn't really work too well, I don't think. So overall, this one was a bit of a bit of a downer for me. Yeah, well, I guess based on all that, I must have the most familiarity with this franchise. Um, I have played a lot of the games, particularly the more modern games when it comes to the reboot and onwards. I've seen both of the live-action movies. I've seen some of the live-action TV show. Um, I just, yeah, I'm very just familiar with the IP in general, despite not experiencing everything. So uh, because of that, I was really excited for this movie. And when that trailer dropped a little while back, I was just super hyped for it. I thought it was an awesome trailer. 
they really kind of highlighted all the best action, some really fun moments, and they also kind of showed at the same time, despite being serious, there was some kind of more lighthearted and comedic elements. I guess I shouldn't say lighthearted. I just mean like they weren't taking themselves too seriously, which I appreciated. Um, after sitting through the full hour and 50 minutes, I I think the best thing I can say is I had a, a decent, you know, fun time watching it. I definitely don't think it's great, even though, you know, Austin isn't a fan and I am. It's not like I don't think our thoughts are going to be wildly different, but I was hoping for more. This one definitely isn't great. And there are some major issues, but overall to be a little bit positive, I, d I did have a decent time. It, it was fun to watch. So that's kind of the best I can say. Well, I think, Matt, if we're going to talk any more about this film, we're going to end up spoiling some things. So should we do our spoiler warning right here? Let's do it. All right, everybody. This is officially your spoiler warning. If you have not watched the Mortal Kombat reboot, the 2021 version, and you want to watch it at some point, then you're going to have to leave real quick because we are about to spoil everything. So go check out the movie, then come on back. We'll be waiting for you. So yeah, let's get into it. So, Keith, you mentioned that it had been a while since you had been in the Mortal Kombat world, so maybe some of these characters will sound familiar, maybe some of them won't, but regardless, how about you run us through the casting crew and we'll see what you remember. Yeah, so this one is directed by Simon McCoyd, and this is his directorial debut. It's produced by James Wan and Todd Garner. Screenplay by Greg Russo and Dave Callahan. They also wrote The Expendables, Godzilla, Zombieland 2, and then an even, oh man, I can't even say it, Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> and actually, Keith, all of those credentials are just for David Callahan. Uh, this is actually Greg Russo's first produced movie writing. Um, he actually has a few other video game content coming up. He'll be making a Saints Row movie and a Space Invaders movie as well, and he's the lead writers on those. Neither of those will happen. Money on it right now. Saints Row, that'll be interesting. <laughs> it won't, Keith. It won't happen. <laughs> no way that movie gets made. <laughs> if we have not had a Grand Theft Auto movie, we are not going to have a Saints Row oh. movie. <laughs> uh, movie score composed by Benjamin Walfish. And of course, based on Mortal Kombat and the characters created by Ed Boon and John Tobias. Going into our cast, we got Louis Tan as Cole Young, Jessica McNamee as Sonya Blade, Josh Lawson as Kano, Tadanobu Asano as Lord Raiden, Machad Brooks as Jax, Ludi Lin as Liu Kang, Chin Han as Shang Tsung, Max Wang as Kung Lao, with Joe Taslam as Bihan, also known as Sub-Zero. And Hiroyuki Sonata as Hanzo, also known as Scorpion. That's it for the cast and crew. Any highlights, negatives, in-betweens, what do you have? Yeah, guys, I really, I can't bring myself to give a shout-out to any of this cast. I don't <laughs> think anybody's a standout here. But I will give a shout-out to the composer, Benjamin Walfish. His score is pretty sweet, and I did enjoy that, at least. Yeah, I thought, you know, I thought Benjamin Walfish did a decent job. Um, despite what people think about the 1995 live action Mortal Kombat movie, um, it's fun. I mean, nobody can argue that. It's cheesy as hell, but it's super fun. It has one of the most iconic just songs ever with that Mortal Kombat techno theme, which I mentioned at the beginning was the one that went like over platinum. It was a huge success. It's so hype. 
And that's, by the way, just for Austin and then Keith, if you don't remember, that is they play a version of it in the credits of this movie. That techno song is a more electronic version of that. Uh, so, but yeah. he did a great job, I thought. I thought I thought he did a serviceable, serviceable job. When it comes to the cast, I would probably lean towards shouting out Josh Lawson. At the very least, I thought Kano, while not all the lines hit, I thought there was some kind of just, you know, there there was charisma and fun to that character. So I like that. Ludi Lin as Liu Kang, I really liked, but I just think there was so much more we could have gotten from that character. And on, I guess I would close out. I thought Joe Taslim and Hiroyuki Sonata did a good job, but we should have gotten way more Hiroyuki Sonata as Scorpion, I thought. So what, what did you guys think about our leads then? Louis Tan and Jessica McNamee as Cole Young and Sonya Blade. I thought McNamee was solid. I thought Louis Tan, who's a great fighter, I thought he was pretty bad, to be honest. I thought they were both kind of bad. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as acting standouts in this one, I'll second what you said. Uh, Hiroyuki Sonata. He's definitely the most well-known actor from this movie. I mean, he's in The Last Samurai. He's in Avengers Endgame. He's in he he's one of those actors that I mean, you can look at like his Japanese cinema, but he also really did translate internationally when it came to success. So it was a big deal when he was cast as Scorpion, and I was admittedly worried going into the movie. I was like, is that gonna like me that he's not gonna be in a lot of it? And unfortunately, that was the case. Uh, Joe Taslim was in The Raid, I think, and he was really good, but. Yeah, the rest of the cast is mostly kind of uh, unknowns for the most part, as far as I can tell. Tadanobu Asano, I know we saw in Thor, but I don't know if I've seen anything else with him. To your point, Matt, I think the Sub-Zero and Scorpion scenes are the best scenes in the movie, and there's only two of them. So that's kind of disappointing when you kind of look at the movie as a whole. Yeah, I agree. All right, Austin, one of our favorite segments every week is always breaking down the fun facts. We also say production nightmares, but usually just ends up being fun facts. So what do you got for me? Anything interesting with this production? Okay, so there actually is a little bit of production nightmares when it comes to looking at Mortal Kombat as a as an IP. So as we know, the original Mortal Kombat came out in 1995, talking about the movie, of course, and then it had a sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which came out in 1997. Um, a trilogy was planned, but the third film was canceled after a poor reception and performance for Annihilation. And just to put that in perspective, Annihilation currently has a 2% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that movie's pretty horrific. Uh, they recast pretty <laughs> much everybody from the first one, but they still like pretended like it was the same story. It's a pretty atrocious movie. <laughs> Despite being canceled before ever even going into production, just like the Snyder Cut, there were still inklings of what could have been... Uh, the third film supposedly was going to be called Mortal Kombat Devastation. It was rumored to retcon Annihilation and bring back the original cast from the 1995 movie. However, those plans would never materialize. The film would stay in development hell until Warner Bros. acquired NetherRealm Studios and the rights to Mortal Kombat in 2009. In 2010, there was a viral fan-made short film called Mortal Kombat Rebirth. It was directed by Kevin Tanchurin, and it was his pitch to Warner Bros. for a feature film. And Warner Bros. actually greenlit the project and was expected to release the movie back in 2013. However, the project would go through numerous delays due to budget constraints, and Tanchorin would eventually quit the film by October of that year. He would later go on to develop and continue to make an online web series called Mortal Kombat Legacy. Which is awesome. I would recommend anybody that is remotely interested in this, if you haven't seen Mortal Kombat Legacy, it's pretty badass. Can you give like a, a brief summary of what it is, Matt? I know it's like a more grounded take. Yeah, that's kind of the whole thing. It's just a really kind of grounded, messed up, violent take on um, the Mortal Kombat lore. Uh, it's less about the fantastical elements and more kind of tying it into, 
I guess maybe you'd say they play up the whole detective aspect with Jax and Sonya. And like you have these characters that have a past uh, with Scorpion and Sub-Zero. They come into it. It's more of like a weird... They incorporate the fighting and the violence, but it's definitely a more grounded take. So it's different than the games and this version, but it's still really cool. And kind of the low budget aspect kind of gives it that original vibe as well. But they did a great job with it. I know people really want to see his movie with with a studio budget, and, and they're disappointed we never got that. Okay, so finally, in 2016, Simon McCord was hired to direct the movie with James Wan producing and Greg Russo writing. The film, however, wouldn't start shooting until 2019 and resulted in the movie we have today. So why did this movie take five years to get made? According to producer Todd Garner, it took them a long time to figure out how to introduce a multitude of characters without changing anybody's origin story. And in one of the dumbest quotes I've ever seen, he said, We started from the premise of, what would Marvel do? How were the Avengers assembled? Yeah, that's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) So they eventually decided to create a new character for the movie who would act as the audience's entry point into the world and lore of Mortal Kombat. And once they realized they would need to create an original character, the crew then wanted to figure out how to organically tie the character to the existing Mortal Kombat mythology. So that's kind of where our delays come from, is trying to figure out how to uh, work in the Cole Young character into like making him feel like he's already a lived character for this universe. And then apparently there was also a lot of time spent figuring out how to toe the line between an R rating and an NC-17 rating. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what they were thinking, to be quite frank, with the Cole Young stuff, especially after hearing about how are we going to make this like an Avengers style team up? It's like, then why are you introducing an original character? I mean, it, it just seems really odd. And it's like, at least if the character was cool and interesting and the performance was good, maybe you could look past it, but... It kind of just seems even more baffling after seeing the final movie. Yeah, and according to a few interviews I read with Greg Russo, the writer, I guess the Cole Young character existed uh, before he came into the project, and they kind of told him to take Cole Young and work it into the movie that he wants to make. So bizarre. Again, maybe we'll talk about it later, but it just felt like there were so many opportunities where it could have been cool. I mean, I remember when the trailers came out, everybody was like, oh, Cole Young, maybe that's a weird, maybe this is their version of Johnny Cage. Maybe they're going to kind of like race swap. And I was like, that could be really cool. And then they were like, well, for those that don't know, when Bihan, the original Sub-Zero dies in the games, his younger brother actually takes up the Sub-Zero mantle in order to get revenge on Scorpion. And his character's name was Kai Lang. Cole Young, is this like a version of that? No, it's just a version of Scorpion's ancestor. And it's like, oh, that's cool. So you're telling me, that Cole Young is going to become the new Scorpion. No, he's just his own character. And at the end, Scorpion just leaves. It's very bizarre. That's, yeah, even weirder now hearing that story, like how that even happened is crazy. It's also crazy that the, like, five years of production goes into creating the Cole Young character. And, like, it's not much of a character. He's got a family we're supposed to care about, but they're not given enough screen time. Yeah, they probably needed like 10 more years based on that timetable to figure it out. That's a, it was a little weak with the way they made him Scorpion's ancestor, or uh, sorry, descendant. You see, that's the weird thing though, Keith, because I was fine with that. I was just genuinely shocked that at the end, like how cool would it have been if he had never developed an Arcana? He just somehow beat Goro because of his fighting ability. And it's like, well, I, guess cool. I'm a cha- I guess I'm a champion, but I don't have the ability. And then at the end, like maybe Sub-Zero kills Scorpion and then Cole becomes Scorpion in the process, and then he kills Sub-Zero. Like, maybe that would have been too predictable, but based on how this ended, I, I there could have been a middle ground at least. Well, Keith, let me ask you this. 
When you watch Cole Young, Jack, Sonya Blade, and Kano all come together for the first time on screen, did you feel like you were watching the Avengers assemble? <laughs> oh, you know it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's what I've got for the production stories. Matt, please tell me what the critics think about 2021's Mortal Kombat. Yeah, man. So much interesting stuff with this movie. I, I am genuinely curious, based on the box office that I'm about to get into, I think they're going to get a sequel, but... I'd also be curious, like, to find out why did they not focus on the actual titular, you know, Mortal Kombat tournament for this one? Yeah, that's that's an issue we got to talk about because they spend the whole movie telling us about the tournament and then we never see the fucking tournament. I know. Definitely sequel set up for sure, but we'll see. Regardless, it sounds like they're going to get one because the box office Mortal Kombat has grossed $52 million. Its budget was only $55 million, so they're doing great. <laughs> so considering <laughs> the fact that this just opened and that doesn't even include the HBO Max numbers, this movie is an undeniable fucking hit. The critical reception, we have a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. The site's critical consensus is largely for fans of the source material, but far from fatality, flawed. Mortal Kombat revives the franchise in appropriately violent fashion. Kind of the um, consensus pros where there was some comedy and fun, which was found in the over-the-top violence. We had a competently made B-movie. Nobody agreed that it was like a great movie, but it was a B-movie that was well-made. Josh Lawson I saw as Kano. They, they felt that he kind of nailed the tone overall. Fans of the franchise may be able to kind of appreciate the elements of the video game origin story, dialogue, and fight scenes. And then just in general, a lot of the action scenes I saw were being praised as the at the very least engaging and fun. We do have a lot of cons, though. A lot of the action, people were saying, was hindered by CGI effects. In general, we had a very weak script that was trying to serve way too many characters at once. Austin already mentioned it, but Cole Young being this weird original character that was the focal point of the movie seemed like an odd choice. And frankly, I was seeing people that said he was just kind of bland and boring, unfortunately. And that was kind of what we had for the cons. So we definitely had some pros, but some pretty serious cons in terms of important elements. So what do you guys think of all that? Honestly, I'm really surprised to hear that the budget is only $55 million. not because I think the movie looks great, but because Kevin Tonchurin's movie was only expected to be 40 to $50 million and they had budget issues and could never get that project off the ground. So if Warner Bros. really only had to go up to $55 million to get a Mortal Kombat movie made, I'm surprised Kevin Tonchurin lost out on his film. And to that point, I mean, regardless of what we think about the movie in full, I do think that the movie that we got looks very impressive for a $55 million budget. So I will say that. Um, and I, I would imagine that that means that um, since obviously it's been an opening weekend and they've already made their money back, which by the way, James Wan producing, that's literally what the guy is known for in the industry. He makes money like nobody else in terms of a profit on a movie with his horror movies and just everything else. But yeah, we're going to get a sequel for sure. And I'm sure they're going to up that budget significantly. Maybe that will help when it comes to the CG and like the fights and everything, but I'm not sure. Well, your caveat, though, is you said for a $55 million budget movie, and I think that's the key there, because I don't think this movie looks very good. I think all of the CGI is, like, barely passable as, like, being a budget movie. Like, I, I think it looks pretty bad. Um, and my biggest criticism that I agree with is a lot of the hand-to-hand -hand stuff should be cooler, but because they then try to add in all of the CGI stuff, it ends up looking poor, and they have to cut at weird times so then they can work in CGI later. And I just don't think you get, like, a really great fight other than the opening sequence in the movie which was the most practical. I can agree to some of that. Um, I know what I was hoping for, and I, I guess this would be fan service, but 
you know, with, with playing the games, you do kind of, you would kind of hope for this when seeing a Mortal Kombat movie. And that is, whenever they're fighting, I'd want to get like a wide shot, just like we got with the video games, where, you know, it's more of like a horizontal view of them fighting and with them both in the same frame and just watching them go to town on each other. I was really hoping to see some of that, especially when it comes to what they were talking about with the, uh, the tournament or whatever. I was hoping we were going to get some of, some of those shots if we were able to get to the tournament at all with the story. Yeah, I think I think additionally, I, I can agree with the praise for Kano. Um, I don't love that character, but he at least gives, I think, the strongest performance in the movie. And uh, the bit about fan service, I actually read an interview with, with Greg Russo where he was saying that he wanted to make this movie for the fans and he was trying to work in fan service without taking away from the story. So I think he would, even though it's a criticism, I think he would actually probably be okay with that as a criticism. I think before we get into our next segment, I, I do appreciate that this is a mid-budget movie because those don't really exist anymore. Either the movie costs $100 plus million to make or it's an indie yeah, I just appreciated that we got a movie. I agree with what Austin was saying that like, yeah, it doesn't look great in general, but for what the movie, like what it cost, I do think it looked good. So I was able to kind of separate that a little bit. So that's all I could really say before we get into our whole break it down segment. Okay, well, Matt, let's get into can we break it down right now? Let's do our plot summary. All right, guys, it's time to bring back our time limit format since I think this film pretty much warrants it. Austin, since you're new to this franchise, I want you to walk us through the opening scene. Since this is something that fans have been waiting for, in 15 seconds or less, walk me through the initial Scorpion and Sub-Zero confrontation in 1617 Japan. Okay, so we open up in rural Japan. Uh, we meet Hanzo and his family. Hanzo leaves to get some water, and while he was gone, Sub-Zero murders his family, and then tries to come after Hanzo as well, uh, saying he wants to eliminate his bloodline. Perfect stuff, perfect stuff. He dies in the process, unfortunately. And just like the first Mortal Kombat game, Outworld is now on the verge of conquering Earthrealm. They only need to win one more tournament. But there is a prophecy that the ancestor of Scorpion will lead to Shang Tsung of Outworld's downfall. Keith, tell me why Cole Young is important. Tell me about what happens to his new friend Jax and his meeting with Sonya. Also, yeah, 15 seconds. Yeah, so Cole Young is the descendant of Scorpion, and he's also marked as the one chosen to fight for the Earth Realm. Uh, his meeting his new friends Jax and Sonya. Uh, Jax actually gets his arms broken off by Sub Zero, and Sonya leads him to her hideout, where he then meets Kano. Ooh, right at fifteen seconds. Good job, Keith. Sonya, of course, then teaches Cole about the Mortal Kombat tournament, and we meet Kano, like Keith said, another marked champion, but not one that deserves it, as they say. They end up killing Reptile, an assassin sent by Shang Tsung, and they make their way to meet Lord Raiden so they can find out about what the hell is going on. Austin, tell me about the whole gang meeting up with Liu Kang and Raiden in addition to Shang Tsung, trying to cheat the whole system of the tournament by killing them before it even starts. Once again, 15 seconds. Okay, so they arrive at this ancient temple where the champions of Earth, uh, typically in the past, would go to seek out and, and unlock their arcana. Liu Kang and Raiden decide to put them through kind of training by combat to see if, if in the heat of battle they will unlock their arcana. Um, and unfortunately, Shang Tsung shows up with his army and tries to uh, defeat them before they can unlock their arcana and maybe enter the tournament. There you go. That bastard. I knew he would pull that. Also, guys, Jax is here, by the way. <laughs> 
So, Keith, I'm going to go ahead and give you 10 seconds to tell me about any highlights from the training scenes for our champions to unlock their arcana, which will give them special powers to help them win. Anything stand out to you? Yeah, I guess the biggest standout here is that Jax's mechanical arms turned into even better mechanical arms. That's right. That's right. I will say the best part of this entire scene was when Liu Kang did the spamming of the sweep kick. And then on the third time, Kano jumped over and was like, oh, fuck, and then fell and got sweeped. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. And one thing I forgot to add, I know I'm past my 10 seconds here, is that Kano gets really mad at dinner and he finds out he has a laser eye. He does indeed, just like the games, just like the games. So, Austin, I'm going to go ahead and toss an action scene your way. 15 seconds for you to tell me about all the characters losing their fight, Kano defecting, Kung Lao doing his fatality, getting killed by Shang Tsung in the process, and our characters escaping with Raiden. I guess it's up to you. What do you want to tell me in 15 seconds? I guess really here we get the coolest scene of the movie, which is where Kung Lao throws his spinning blade helmet into the ground and slides the winged woman across the saw blade and cuts her in half. And Kano decides to go after Sonya Blade because he's pissed that she uh, had him locked in her trailer, I guess, for a long time. Yeah, I, I guess that's the reason, honestly. Um, but also, quick little detour here. Austin, I wanted to get your thoughts on Goro not being a fan of the franchise. Did that CG and just character in general work for you? No, it looked like <laughs> the shitty orcs from that World of Warcraft movie. Oh, that's a pretty good call. What about you, Keith? Did you like seeing Goro in live action again? Uh, it was it was fun, I guess. Uh, he, he wasn't that menacing though. Like I really didn't feel terrified of him. Seems like he could be beat up pretty easily. Like he was pretty clumsy. Yeah, Goro is a pretty badass character and pretty menacing in the games. Also, fun fact: in the 1995 film, they did him in live action with kind of like animatronics. So it's it's actually kind of cool looking going back, at least from kind of that whole just like perspective of how effects used to be done and here it was just like decent cg i guess i was reading an interview with somebody from the crew and they were talking about girl and they were like wow yeah we really wanted to make him like menacing and scary and i really think we accomplished that task no they didn't <laughs> um <laughs> but keith You're i'm gonna have to throw something your way in the same scene you have five seconds i want to get your reaction to cole young's arcana Basically being that he gets to wear a weird looking rubber suit and he gets a blade and a stick. I thought he looked like Aquaman. That was like my first thought. <laughs> That's all you need to say, I think. That's exactly how bad it looked. Um, so yeah, the gang figures out their plan and decides to fight their enemies one-on-one. -on -one. I thought it was pretty fun, bloody, and full of fatalities. After that, though, Sub-Zero kidnaps Cole's family to Forza's hand. They start to fight, but Cole is revealed to be the descendant of Scorpion, and by using his ancestor's weapon, he inadvertently summons him from the Nether Realm. And Austin, you talked about it at the beginning, and I want to hear your follow-up. What did you think of the rematch between Scorpion and Sub-Zero? I'll give you 20 seconds in case you need a little more time. I don't think I need too much time. I teased it at the beginning, but the Scorpion and Sub-Zero fight scenes are the best ones in the movie. Um, this final one's pretty sweet, too. I think that blade, that blade of Hanzo looks really sweet. They don't give Cole much to do in this fight, though, which is kind of weird. He just kind of gets pushed to the side and is punching ice. He's literally punching ice the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> but I also do like the part where he pulls down his mask and breathes fire on the Sub-Zero. Yes, Scorpion's original fatality, where his whole head becomes a skull when he pulls his hood off and breathes fire. So that was fun to see. So, of course, yes, Scorpion leaves after killing his old rival, thanks to Cole, who definitely doesn't speak Japanese, by the way. Did anybody find that weird? Like, 
he's like talking Japanese and he's talking to Cole and Cole, I guess the, the director was like, Cole, look like you know what he's saying. But he also doesn't <laughs> yeah. seem like he does at the same time. It's even weirder, too, because Cole specifically says, hey, man, I'm just a kid from the south side of Chicago. Like he, he makes it very clear that he himself does not speak Japanese. Yeah, it's also weird that um, literally the only words of English that Scorpion knows is get over here, his most famous line. But other than that, he only speaks Japanese. So um, Raiden and Shang Tsung promise a rematch and the whole gang decides they need more champions to prepare for the final battle, leaving our hero, if you want to call him that, Cole Young, to leave for Hollywood to recruit our resident Mortal Kombat series bad boy, Johnny Cage. That's Mortal Kombat. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's do the round table. Guys, who wants to start us off to that? All right, here we go. So I thought the opening of this film with Scorpion and Sub-Zero, like we talked about, was just absolutely fantastic. I thought it was pretty earned, emotional, badass, and really actually interesting in terms of the story it seemed like they were setting up, if that makes sense. Frankly, I guess I think it's telling that this is the best part of the movie. I'm not sure if focusing the film on this entire aspect and this whole legendary rivalry would have even really made for a better story. I'm not sure if it would, but I do think at least a little bit more of a focus on it at all would have been appreciated. What did you guys think? Honestly, the reason why I loved this opening sequence is because it's not just a one-on-one fight. Like, I like that they put Hanzo in a situation where he has, like, four other ninjas coming after him and he has to use his blade to take them all out. Like, that was my favorite action and choreography of the movie. And then when it does then lead into a one-on-one fight, like, I think that that made the action feel more fun as opposed to later on in the movie, they all the characters just get put in or they choose to be in situations where they only can do a one-on-one fight. And I, I think that made the action a little more boring for the remainder of the film. Yeah, this opening was pretty badass. And I thought it was going to set the tone for the rest of the movie. Unfortunately, it didn't. It really kind of took a dive after that. But I'll agree with you, Austin. Yeah, the choreography for this fight, for some reason looked way better than the rest of the fights in the, in the remainder of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I was kind of hoping to get more of this world, too, like in the in the ancient, I guess it was ancient Japan, right? I was kind of hoping to get more of that world, because uh, that's kind of like the Mortal Kombat world I knew playing the Sega game. Yeah, that's a good point, Keith, because I kind of I thought we were setting up like a feudal Japan-like conflict that maybe they were going to find a way to work the Mortal Kombat characters into. I kind of liked it as a prologue, though. I, I suspected, I mean like most of the series, it would be modern day. So I was fine with that. But I mean, I also agree with you guys that it definitely takes a dive after this. And I think it would be easy in most situations to say, well, that's because Hiroyuki Sonata and Joe Taslam have like actual combat and martial arts experience. But the crazy part is Max Wang, who plays Kung Lao, Ludi Lin, who plays Liu Kang, um, Louis Tan, who plays Cole Young. All these people have that same experience. It's just that for whatever reason, their fights kind of sucked in comparison. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure why this one stood out or if they just spent more time on it or maybe the writing meant like went more into it or maybe there was a script issue where like this was initially setting up something more interesting, but then they changed the story later to have Cole Young in it. I just don't know. But all I do know is this opening was pretty badass. Do you guys think Warner Bros. knew they had a movie that wasn't going to be super well received and that's why they chose to release the opening portion of this film online first to kind of generate some marketing buzz? Yeah, I do. I do. After seeing the movie, I think that's the case. Yeah, I just wanted more of that. I don't know. I, the The modern stuff didn't do it as much for me. 
Yeah, it's a shame too, because I mean, I thought even when Sub-Zero was doing CGI stuff, it was all really cool looking, like watching him like just raise his hands up and then like throw them down and he basically brings down this frozen ice instead of rain that all crashes on the ground. All of his stuff looked cool. It's just that for whatever reason, I I'm, I am genuinely shocked that they waited until the very, very end, like the last maybe 10 minutes, if I'm being generous, to reintroduce Scorpion. It, w- it just felt weird because like Sub-Zero couldn't do too much cool stuff leading up to that. I mean, yeah, like watching him break Jax's arms was really cool. But overall, it just kind of felt like he was standing around for the most part. I liked what they did with that Jack thing where Sub-Zero hunts him down. With Sub-Zero, they say, hey, you need to go to Earth and hunt down all these champions. And then he doesn't. Like, I kind of thought we were headed for, a, like, an interesting, like, It Follows, like, kind of type story where they're always on the move trying to outrun Sub-Zero, but everywhere they go, Sub-Zero hunts one of them down and maybe kills them or incapacitates them. And then we also didn't get that either. So th- this movie just took so many weird turns that ultimately, I think, just as it goes on, it makes it a less interesting movie. Mm-hmm. I agree, unfortunately. So in addition to all that, um, I think just in general, a lot of times where video game movies miss the mark is that they still try to make a movie feel like a video game as opposed to focusing on telling a compelling story. Um, I think this one definitely suffers from that instinct with constantly setting up one-on-one fights, filming everything from side profiles, and having characters say shitty one-liners like fight, fatality, etc., Um, I understand all of these are elements of the video game, but at the same time, these are also two separate mediums. So all of this resulted in me feeling like I was watching someone else play a video game as opposed to enjoying a movie. One of the most boring experiences ever is like waiting your turn for a controller to play a game. So what I want to know from you guys is as two people who are fans of this franchise, did all of these elements work for you guys or were you just as bored as I was? Um, yeah, no, they, they definitely didn't work for the most part i think the only one from the games that really worked was watching shang song yell finish them or finish him whatever he said and then everybody started fighting that worked um but yeah watching <laughs> kung lao say flawless victory is hard to translate watching Liu kang off screen say fatality for kung lao was stupid as shit um, oh my god <laughs> Watch, I mean, I will say the others, mostly it was just the one-liners that didn't work. I liked seeing the side profile. I mean, Keith, I feel like you might agree with me. One of my favorite moments of the movie is when it really quickly cut to that side profile wide angle at the end. Whenever you see Scorpion standing there with his sword and Sub-Zero has made, now made his sword and they stand there for a second. You can see both of them in that wide angle right before yeah. they start fighting, just like in the game, which was, yeah. okay, I see what you're doing. That was which cool. I, which is what I did want. I, I did appreciate that. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I'm with you, though, Austin. I don't need them, like, putting everything from the game in here, like, especially the uh, the cheesy lines. I, I, I'm I better off. I think you're better off with actually telling the story than, you know, trying to appease all the fans with just putting all these one-liners and every aspect of the video games in there. And, that, and that's kind of my point, too, Keith. I think a lot of times when there's a studio or a director who's making a video game movie, I think they always think, like, hey, we, we need to make the video game. We can't stray from that. And I kind of wish whenever we do have these video game properties going into film, I wish they would just take like an interesting story from the game and then develop a movie off of that. I don't, I'm not going to a movie to make it feel like I'm playing a video game. Like if I want to do that, I would just go play the game. I totally agree. And if you are going to go that extra step and put that stuff in there, then you have to find the right context for it. It's funny because watching this movie, I was like, wow, it's crazy to say, but the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie did what this one is trying to do with the dialogue a little bit better. Like, Austin, I feel like even you would have appreciated it. In the original live-action movie, the only person that said those lines was Shang Tsung. And in that movie, they did show the Mortal Kombat tournament. So he's kind of like the master 
of ceremonies, if you will, of the tournament in that version. So like whenever somebody wins and it's a flawless victory, it's just kind of him sitting in the chair, like smirking, like, oh, it was a flawless victory. Or like he's like screaming, finish them or fatality. So it worked way better in that context as being kind of like this overseer in a way. Whereas in this movie, it's really weird watching other characters say it right after they do it. Like that doesn't work at all. Yeah. In the original one, do they set it up kind of like um like a gladiator tournament where like you have the emperor who can say like, yeah, you're nay for killing. Like, is it kind of that sort of style? A little bit, but it's, of course, the same situation where, like, the good-natured characters won't do it and that the bad ones will. So it's still, like, they can do whatever they want. But the first one really is, like, they sail off for this mystical island with because of Lord Raiden telling them to because, hey, if they if this crazy outworld and Shang Tsung win one more tournament, then Earthrealm will be taken over. So Sonya, Johnny Cage, Liu Kang. Liu Kang's the main character of the original movie, by the way. They all go over and then they fight and Liu Kang is who we follow through the tournament fully. Um... And yeah, Shang Tsung's kind of this crazy, maniacal, like, guy that's cheating. He's also, of course, as Keith and I talked about, he's played by the grandfather from Johnny Tsunami, and he's so goddamn good in it. And yeah, here the guy just felt, like, really weirdly bad. And also, I was like, every single line he says is, it's like the Bane effect. It's like they're making his voice echo. And it's like, why? (laughs) It sounds terrible. Hey, Bono, Bono. (laughs) Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> yeah, I think with the right editing or cutting and maybe some slower pacing, this could have maybe made a uh, great pilot to a miniseries. I don't think I'd want to see all these characters and fight scenes go on forever in a full-on like four-season television show, but maybe maybe like five, six, seven episodes. We could have had a little bit more time to build up the characters and the reasons why they were chosen, along with some more badass fight sequences blended in there. I just felt like this was made specifically for the people who play the games. Yeah, I'm I'm personally way more interested in the Scorpion and Sub-Zero like opening story. Like I want to see more of that. I want to see their history. I want to know why Sub-Zero hates Scorpion so much to the point where he is hunting him down, killing his whole family and his kids. Like that stuff looks really cool and I would love to see that movie. I don't really want to see any of these characters and actors again in future films. I was going to say, yeah, I think the acting could have been better. I mean, I think I'm interested in the characters, but the acting in this movie, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I just didn't think it was all that great. Maybe it was the writing that kind of hindered them a little bit, too. You know what this feels like? It feels like a CW movie in a way. Like, that's kind of how it feels. Like, like the same kind of cheesy lines and and, um, acting things that you see on CW shows. It feels like they really took some of that inspiration and used it in this movie. That's a very good point. I, I feel that for sure. I see that too. And it's a shame because I think it could have been a lot better. And I do think in a lot of ways, the movie does get it right in the sense that it balances the whole like over the top violence with this kind of just generally cheesy tone with some kind of background lore, which is interesting. It's just the movie, I think, just chose to focus on the wrong things. I mean, that's its biggest issue. I think it had all the right pieces there. But like Keith said, I mean, with some editing and cutting and just trying to refocus on different things. I think they really could have had a knockout here that was really fun. And this one just wasn't it. I mean, like Austin said, the Scorpion and Sub-Zero, the way they presented in this movie is so interesting, so much more interesting and grounded than anything else, that when it comes back at the end, it's like, this is awesome, but it's too late. 
And I mean, Mortal Kombat Legacy that we talked about, the live action show, Mortal Kombat Legends, I think it's called Scorpion's Revenge, which is an animated, like really gory movie that focuses more on the Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Like they have that stuff in this world that focuses on those elements, which is why I was excited for this to be more broad, but they just didn't nail it. They just couldn't figure it out, I don't think. I at least was like going into this one hoping for like kind of like a raid style like action at least like I was like okay I don't know if there's going to be a a crazy story here but I'm hoping like all the action is at least going to be top notch and like we've kind of touched on the way they have to cut everything in weird manners to then later go back in post and work in CGI and special effects like overall it made the action kind of feel tacky and cheap too and so when you don't have like a very great like concrete story that's easy to follow paired with action that isn't very exciting or fun to watch it kind of just makes for a slow and boring hour and 50 minutes i get that just to be a little bit positive and i know it sounds like this might just be me i did find a little bit more than just the scorpion and sub-zero action enjoyable i thought watching ludy lin move around as Liu kang was really fun seeing some classic moves like the sweep the bicycle kick and then his fatality with the with the fiery dragon was cool I thought Cabal, kind of in the iron lung, I liked the way he moved around too. There were some cool elements there. I wish there would have been more. I liked his design too. Yeah, the design was great. I love the design. And the voice I thought was so weird. The voice was good. But it was, yeah, it was weird in a good way, like unexpected. Like he was just a normal guy that's dressed this way, which was really cool. I had a hard time tracking his and uh, Kano's history though. Like I don't understand how they knew each other because isn't he from Outer World? No, he and Kano are both Earthrealm, but... Um, Cabal, after being defeated by Kano and getting in this iron lung, as he puts it, eventually comes to Outworld to help. It, that's more of the weird thing. It's like, how did he get there in the first place? Because they both are from yeah. Earth Realm. So yeah, there is some goofy stuff there. Uh, the last one I thought was a bit more grounded and there was a lot of practical cool elements was the final fight between Kano and Sonya Blade, just in her trailer, like kind of just throwing each other around, like hitting each other with shit, choking each other out, and like him using the eye had some cool elements with her like hopping below the floor and stuff like that. So there was some highlights overall, but just not enough for me at least. Yeah, I, I, I really did enjoy, actually, the Sonya Blade character worked for me more than I expected it to in this movie. I thought she had some pretty good scenes. Um, The thing that I found that was weird though with that final fight is like she defeats Kano, gets the dragon tattoo or, or birthmark, whatever it is, and then immediately has her arcana, whereas yeah. it took like everybody else like a couple days to unlock what their ability was. But hers, she just immediately gets it. Yeah, yep. he's like, whoa, that's cool. She's like, yeah, get from Kano. And like she didn't have to like do anything yeah. all that <laughs> all that difficult to get it like the rest of them did. And I, I would say you can make the argument that she unlocked it in the heat of battle. But you can't really make that argument because they've already set up that in order to get the birthmark in the first place, you have to defeat another champion. So theoretically, you're already going into one of these battles without your powers. Then you get the birthmark and then you have to go train to unlock your powers. It was also surprising to me because Sonya Blade in in the games is just kind of like a badass human with guns and martial arts and stuff. So seeing her develop that arcana and get that cool power was a pretty cool surprise. I I would have liked to have seen it developed a bit more, but I mean, it's still interesting. Um, so we kind of talked about the original 95 movie, despite again, what the critics and whoever thinks of that, it's a cult classic. It focuses on a smaller number of characters. So I was just curious. I mean, do you guys think that if they had just been a bit more picky and choosy, I guess, if you want to put it that way with the characters they had in this movie, could we have gotten a better film that built up each of those individual characters? And then maybe in the sequel, you kind of open the world up with this tournament and you introduce like all the characters. Like some of them are just kind of um, throwaways that get killed during the tournament in a fight. But 
I don't know, I kind of like watching Liu Kang, Kung Lao, and Raiden, I was like, there's elements that I like here, but I would have liked so much more developed because we really only got Cole, Sonya, and Jax in terms of, and I guess maybe Scorpion a little bit in terms of like interesting development. So I don't know. I mean, if you guys had to make a smaller group of these characters, who would you have liked to have seen focused on? Yeah, I mean, we've already said it many times. I mean, focus on Sub-Zero and Scorpion, of course. Um, get some rated in there. Um, I, I like the character of Jax and um, and Johnny Cage from the, from the um, video games. So, yeah. I mean, focus on those four or five and then the rest of them kind of just, yeah, like you said, Matt, just bring him in later on. That goes back to my point of like maybe having a four or five, five episode uh, miniseries where you can slowly actually develop these guys and give them some backstories. Because I think that's like, I think that pretty much summarizes the main disappointment with this movie is that there's a lot of potential here and lots of cool characters, but just you're just expected to know everything about them. And people who didn't play the video games, I think it, it could benefit them if you actually were to explain a little bit of these guys' background. Yeah, I think I think the biggest mistake they made was showing us that Sonya and Jax have been investigating this mystery for years, but then we don't get to see it. Like, I, I would have rather had this movie open up. Our main characters are Sonya and Jax. They have just defeated Kano or, or whoever it was that they defeated for Jax to get his tattoo. And then we go from there and we see the whole first movie is their investigation, learning about the lore of Mortal Kombat, learning about how this tournament feeds into Earth maybe being taken over by Outer World, and then we can still be building for this tournament. Maybe the third act, they find uh, Kung Lao and, and Raiden and go to the temple, and maybe throughout the movie, they track down a few other champions. The third act is spent training at the temple, and then the end of the movie, they say, all right, you're ready for the tournament. And then the sequel is the tournament. Yeah, I like that pitch a lot. I think you can honestly even keep a lot of what happened in this movie in that pitch. Just have them meet Liu Kang, Kung Lao, and Raiden a little bit earlier in the movie. You can even have, like you said, the Kano death maybe happen instead. Um, and then have them get one of the tattoos. Um, and then I think the big thing they could have done is still have Sub-Zero take Jax's arms and have him be out of a commission for a while. And have him be kind of the main villain of the movie, and then kind of in the whole Marvel aesthetic, have Shang Tsung be in it, but have him kind of loom in the background because we know this tournament is coming, like you said, that they're investigating, and then have that be the sequel. And maybe, who knows, maybe Scorpion shows up at the end to kill Sub-Zero and that plays in. Maybe Scorpion somehow features, I don't know, but I, li I like the way that you're saying that. I really think if they had focused on those select kind of more main characters and had a, a few less villains, we could have gotten a better movie here. I was just surprised, like, reading these interviews with the producers and stuff and have them all of them being like, yeah, we, we really didn't know how to, like, explain the lore with our existing characters, so we had to create a new one. That's insane. And it's like, you had a good idea in there in the movie. Just take that investigation, turn it into the main plot of this movie, and use that to unveil the lore of Mortal Kombat and, and why things are happening. And I, I feel like if we already set this up to be, like, a detective investigation-style movie, then all of these, like, reveals and, and lore dumping can happen a lot more naturally like for the audience to learn about Mortal Kombat. Like as someone, as someone like me who went into this film not knowing anything about this franchise, I would have rather come out of the film being like, wow, I know a bunch and I want to learn more about this lore as opposed to just kind of being bored with this action. Yeah, that's such a great point, Austin, because I feel like one of my favorite scenes was when, and whenever people do exposition in movies, it is usually boring, but I actually thought it was pretty compelling when Sonya was telling Cole Young about what the Mortal Kombat just is based on her findings. I thought that was pretty cool. 
And then they actually did a yeah. pretty good job of whenever Liu Kang finds them, they go to the temple and then you see Sonya's reaction to seeing kind of all these murals and stuff, which is you, you see her realizing I was right. And like, there's even more to it. Like there were, there were some really cool elements there that if they had focused just a little bit more on, it could have really set up a really great sequel that focused on the tournament. Like if they had leaned into that more, I would have been totally fine if we didn't get the tournament here because I would have been hyped for it in the sequel. Yeah, I think a good comparison for this film is the is the MonsterVerse and the Godzilla and Kong franchise cuz what we're really setting up there is is the big fights between all the monsters. But I think what that franchise does better than what this one did is they made the lore really interesting and not all the time, but a good amount of the time they found cool ways to display it and and have you more interested in the world that they were creating there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, so one other thing I'll add here and this is just more of a smaller nitpicky thing. Uh, but it was kind of disappointing for me, was with Raiden. I don't know about you, Matthew, but I remember when I was playing uh, the video game as a kid, he was so much scarier and menacing looking. I remember like always being terrified to fight him. <laughs> doesn't matter which yeah. character I was. I was always scared to fight Raiden. He was just so scary looking. Uh, in the movie, they made him look like this nice guy. When He is a good guy in the movie, but they just made him look so nice. And like he just talked like a normal dude. You see it in the movie a little bit with his eyes glowing, but for some reason in the game, it was always creepy looking. He had his, and his and his uniform in the game was different than it was in this movie. In the game, it was, uh, he had like a white gi with like a blue, bluish vest on that kind of resembled the color of his electricity that he has. And then just all the moves that he had trying to fight against were always just creepy. And you, you knew, I don't know, you just knew whenever you're fighting Raiden, you're going to get you're going you're gonna to get fucked up. Uh, that was kind of the cool thing about Raiden in the original was, I mean, in the original game, I'm, I'm going to miss a character, but I know you had Scorpion, Sub-Zero, definitely Liu Kang, Sonya, Johnny Cage, and Raiden, I think. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing one or two, but Raiden was the only one that was like a literal god. So like, yeah, to Keith's point, it was like, it was definitely scary fighting that character. And in this one, I, I like Tadanobu Asanu a lot. I thought the performance was good. It just the way they used him in the story was a bit odd because it is so kind of hot and cold in terms of how he treats people. And then at the end, it is kind of just like, oh, we did it. Let's go get more champions. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, it just it just was a bit weird in terms of the whole goal. And it also kind of begs the question, if you're aware that Shang Tsung is has been cheating for nine tournaments in order to win and he only has to win one more, then why have you not intervened sooner? Because he's always like, I can't intervene. I'm an elder god. But then he intervenes this entire movie. So it's just like, <laughs> it, it's just a bit weird. It makes him almost a little bit less likable. The fact that he's just been sitting by letting this happen. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the way they set it up, they set it up as like the elder gods are almost like the referees. So if Raiden is an elder god and he knows that outer world's cheating, why is he not going to the other elder gods and saying, hey, we need to do something about outer world? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> also, just in general, the movie, I don't think he did a great job at showing off his powers. And really what we got was kind of just the whole like Thor calling down Mjolnir's lightning. We got some cool elements of that. That's really it. Like we just kind of saw him call it down a couple of times and really nothing beyond that. How dare you? We also got some shitty lightning eyes. Oh, I forgot about that. That <laughs> did look really bad. <laughs> okay, boys. So clearly we are setting things up for a sequel. Matt thinks it's almost guaranteed with the amount of money they've made already. So are you guys even remotely interested in seeing that happening? And was there anything going into this Mortal Kombat movie that you were hoping to see that you didn't get? 
Yeah, um, I, I'm kind of excited for a sequel the same way I'm excited for Venom sequel, which is Venom came out, it, it made a shit ton of money, but it wasn't really liked. Uh, I think people thought it was f- kind of fun at times, but it wasn't a good movie. That's kind of how I feel about this movie. But Venom did the smart thing of for the sequel, they kept the things that worked. They kept the cast members that worked, Tom Hardy, but they changed directors. So they changed from whoever, Ruben Fleischer, maybe to Andy Serkis, and they're going to utilize more practical stuff, which sounds pretty cool. Um, it's kind of the same thing here. I'm not excited for a sequel if Simon McCoy, no offense, directs it. But if they keep some elements of the writing team, maybe a, a, keep some of that cast, keep just elements of kind of like the over-the-top gore and stuff like that, but just get a different director, maybe add another writer or something and add some cool new characters. And the tournament itself, I think we could look, I think we could see a sequel that's much better is what I'm saying. But if they like come out in a little bit and announce a sequel and it's all the same team, I, I'm probably going to be a bit worried. Yeah, no, I'd be interested in a sequel. I mean, they set, it up, they set us up for one. Especially with the whole Johnny Cage thing. I'd be excited to see what Johnny Cage would be like and how they portray him. Uh, I'd also be down for, even if it was like a reboot, I don't even care, like a like a prequel. I just want to see like the 17th century Japan and how Scorpion and Sub-Zero kind of came about. Yeah, a lot of people have been talking about that. Yeah, maybe they'll do a spinoff and it's just the Scorpion and Sub-Zero movie. Um, for me, kind of like you guys said, I'm... I'm not really excited to see like this cast and crew back, but I am interested in seeing a tournament movie. So maybe, maybe, maybe what they need is a change of director, Matt. Maybe they need just a whole new crew and you keep the cast and and see if you can work something that way. But as long as they can actually go into a, a sequel with a more focused plot and a more like story that makes sense for a fighting game to be a movie with a tournament, then I would be interested in that. But if we're going to keep doing this like weird like lore dump without a real story and and we set up things but then we don't follow through on it like i'm not really interested in that sequel i just hope they do a better job in this sequel of like showcase showcasing all the characters like if you want to keep cole young in there fine but at least make like sonya or Liu kang or one of those two like the actual like point of view character like make them the main that experiences everything from their point of view like i'd rather see that like i i don't want to do another movie with cole young unless they kind of really make the character significantly better and more interesting. But then we're not going to get any more scenes of his daughter that also feels like a younger sister saying, use your uppercut. That was bizarre. I really thought that was his sister for a long time. <laughs> that was <laughs> like, weird. He's like 30. I don't know. We'll see. I, I kind of hope we get one. I think we will, like Austin said, just based on the box office and the fact that it, it's not getting like terrible reviews. It's still pretty like slightly over 50-50. So at, at, at this point, I think it's guaranteed. So I guess we'll... See what happens. I have no idea. I am so sick of the over positive headlines, though. Like, we finally have a smash hit video game movie. <laughs> Mortal Kombat, the best action ever. It's like, what are you talking about? Really? Who paid you to write these fluff pieces? No, I, I disagree. I disagree with that. So Johnny Cage, guys, is that a character that's worth being excited about? Because they hype him up in the movie. Yeah, Johnny Cage is really fun. Johnny Cage is a Hollywood starlet, basically, <laughs> that... uh in both the games and the original movie is kind of unwittingly dragged into the tournament for clout. Um, and then, of course, over the game, he kind of develops an arc where he kind of softens to his teammates and the characters around him and becomes a hero and all that stuff. But it's just fun seeing like a Hollywood star that feels like whenever he's fighting, he's faking it, have to kind of come into this real tournament setting and fight. So he's a real fun character. Do you have a dream casting for Johnny Cage? Yeah, so the dream casting, and it'll never happen, but just to give kind of Austin context into the personality of Johnny Cage, it's Ryan Reynolds. That's who Johnny Cage is. Um, 
in terms of who we could actually get, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. I think you could get Ryan Reynolds. Just tell him he's going to play Deadpool again. <laughs> he does like playing Deadpool. Maybe that'll work. Maybe that'll work. Keith, what about you? I mean, does anybody, I know you do like Johnny Cage a lot. I mean, do, can, does anybody like, can you think of somebody right off the top of your head? I mean, we kind of mentioned him earlier and we wouldn't be able to get him either. He's, he's too high dollar. That'd be Chris Hemsworth. That's definitely kind of the personality fit, those two. I'm not sure who could actually get, though. Oh, no. I just figured out who it's going to be. We could get Nick Cage. He's no, cheap. No, I just got really upset because I know who's going to play Johnny Cage. Austin. Actually, both of you know who this is. Dominic Brussel? <laughs> no, oh, you're not shit. too far off. I genuinely think in maybe a year or whenever they do casting, we are. I would bet $5 we are going to hear this person's name in the conversation because he's affordable because he's kind of a bad actor, and maybe he can kind of do stunts, I'm really scared that we're going to get Stephen Amell. Oh, no. <laughs> the Green Arrow himself. <laughs> he would fit right in. He would. His acting chops are right on par with the rest of this cast. Oh, no. I just scared myself because I think that's going to happen. To save my <laughs> realm. <Arcana. laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. And Keith. Johnny Cage's whole color scheme for his powers, no joke in the games. What color is it? It's green. It's meant to be. Oh, no. Stephen Amell's going to be Johnny Cage. Confirmed. Confirmed. Okay, so we are going to start closing out the show now, but we do, of course, need to do our Arnie's Podcast Awards. If you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Keith always starts us off. Keith, what do you got for us today? Worst helicopter escort goes to Kano. I didn't get why they dropped like 30 miles out from where they needed to be when they could have just parachuted right on top of where they needed to be in that desert scene. They literally parachute and have to hike. It's a great call, Keith. Made 30 miles. Sense. It's like, just just drop where you need to drop at. Kano. And he has like a GPS tracker too. So he's yeah. like, he knows where he needs to go. So just show that to the pilot. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is going to make for a good award format, but I think I'm just going to call this award, there's fabric, dot, dot, dot. And I'm going to implore our audience to go back and check the one hour, 35 minute and 40 second timestamp. Because if you watch when these characters are <laughs> exiting the, the fighting cage ring, you can clearly see that there is literal fabric that they're stepping on. It crinkles as they walk and it's supposed to be like the snow from Sub-Zero. But this movie had such a cheap budget that they forgot to edit that out in post. That is true. You did tell us that and we went back and looked. At least I did. And it was pretty funny because it was pretty blatant <laughs> when rewatching it. That is something so movies bad. do for because uh, it's like obviously they're fighting on mats. So they don't like break their bodies every time they fall. But it was like, wow, that's really noticeable. <laughs> and later on, too, in that same scene, if you look at the lockers, you can see it's just a plastic tarp <laughs> that they put over <laughs> for the ice effect. <laughs> I love it. 55 million bucks, baby. We got to save our money. Okay, Matt, please close out the show today. What is your award? My award is going to a lost soul, to someone that perished, in my opinion, way too soon. And the award is for the best boy that we need back in the sequel. And it's going to my main man, Cabal. He looks cool. He talks cool. He fights cool. He moves cool. We need to see more of this guy in action. That's all I'm saying. I agree. I'm going to add on to your award and say, give us a Cabal movie, because I'd be down for that. I'm in. What about Goru? You guys want him back? <laughs> no. 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 Are you sure? No. <laughs> what if Cole Young fights him again wearing his weird rubber outfit? Only if Stephen Amell fights him. Okay. I'm, I'm down for that. 
Johnny Cage did fight Goro in the 1995 movie, Austin. It sounds like that movie answers all of your uh, questions. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll have to pick that for my favorite movies, even though I've never seen it. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Okay, everybody. Well, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow this show. At The Arnie's is our social, and TheArnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next week for the finale in our look back at the MCU Phase 1. Time to break down 2012's The Avengers. It's going to be fun. We've been building up to it. I'm excited. How do all these movies rank? Will The Avengers hold up? I guess we'll see. We also keep in mind at our Best Pictures bracket recently, so go check that out if you want to know what is the best, best picture of all time. Keeping with that MCU formula, though, like also mentioned at the top, we did wrap up our most recent bonus series with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Check that out. Loki's coming soon, and we actually are. HBO Max gave us Mortal Kombat, gave us Godzilla vs. Kong that we talked about. We have tons of upcoming new releases as well, so stay tuned. I think we're going to be talking about some of them pretty damn soon. And check us out on Instagram, at The Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and upcoming episodes. Like Matt said, please go back and check out our Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We just wrapped that up. And catch up on our MCU Phase 1 series. We just had uh, Captain America come out, and we're going to be moving into the Avengers soon. And now that we just finished up reviewing Mortal Kombat, please tell us your favorite Mortal Kombat character that you enjoyed playing as back in the day and which game system that you played it on. We'd like to hear it. Well, Keith, you know that they're still making the Mortal Kombat games, right? They didn't just stop with your Sega Genesis. I know. That's why I'm asking. Which game system did you, did you have you played them on? Yeah, Austin, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Get over here!